I have thoroughly enjoyed studying Psalm 119 and was surprised, I suppose is a good way to put it, at all of the themes that are, that are found in those verses. We could have done three times as many if, if we wanted to spend uh, the rest of the year we could walk through Psalm 119. I recommend it to you over the holiday season as uh, maybe an, an Advent activity. Read uh, each one of the sections. There's, what, 22 sections. That'll take you almost to Christmas and uh, would be a great way to spend your time. But we're in, we're in uh, verses 126 to 136. Psalm 119, 126, 136. Let me read them to you. He says, um, I am your, excuse me, it is, uh, it is time for you to act, Lord. Your law is being broken. Because I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold, and because I consider all your precepts right, I hate every wrong path. Your statutes are wonderful, therefore I obey them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and I pant. I longing, I'm longing for your commands. Turn to me and have mercy on me, as you always do to those who love your name. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Redeem me from human oppression that I may obey your precepts. Make your face shine on your servant and teach me your decrees. Streams of tears flow from my eyes for your law is not obeyed. I like, and I don't think I'm so different, but I like others have really struggled uh, since March. And, and I think in part it's because activity and production and doing things and being productive are all part of my nature. And when you mess with my, my, my routines, my traditions, my it's got to be this way stuff, I, I go sideways in a, in a hurry. And, and I, over the Thanksgiving holiday, had a hard time, and I hate to admit this to you, but I had a hard time uh, being grateful. And I, I had to do it as an act of my will, not a, as an act of my emotions. Um, it is difficult uh, in, in times like what we're in right now to think about um, what it is that God might have for the, for the season. And uh, when I was a little girl, when, when things would be going south in my life and my mom would go to put me to bed, she almost always, when I was in one of these funks, uh, she would give me my kiss and then pat me on my, my pajamas and say, say these words, it, it'll, it'll be better tomorrow. And, and, I, and I found myself thinking about that over the holidays. I, I'd like someone to come along and pat me, give me a little kiss, and, and, and whisper in my ear, it'll be better tomorrow. But, you know, if, if, you, if you are uh, aware of our world, and I put it in, in your notes, it's, it's a mess. Uh, our world is a mess. We are surrounded by certainly the pandemic, but all of the geopolitical uh, unrest that's on every side, all the social injustices that we're discussing, racial tensions that are real, massive layoffs and, and financial challenges for people at all stratas of, of our economic world, not just the ones at the bottom. People all around us in our communities right here are suffering. It doesn't take but the loss of a paycheck or two and people are uh, in, a, in a whale of hurt. 
Um, we got weird weather patterns going on. My dad was talking to me about how many hurricanes had made their way over Mobile this year. And then you, you, you throw on the top of that the, the normal stresses and strains uh, of the holiday season. I've told you before, there's a, a, tr- a, a chart that, that follows um, the stresses of life and puts some numeric value to it. And, and things like weddings are right up near the top because however wonderful they might be, they're, they're still stressful. Christmas is very much like that. The holidays are like that. It's a wonderful time of the year, kind of. Uh, all, all of the stresses that a lot of it's self-imposed, of course, but, but a lot of it is, you know, what you're doing and I want to do the same and your house looks better than mine and I got to get the tree up and you already do and, you know, all of that stuff. Pretty soon the stresses and strains of just celebrating the holidays. And when I came across this passage, I went, Lord, it is just so like you to remind me out of your word what the answer is to the, to the mess. And, and in verse number 26, I don't want you to miss this one. He says, it's time for you to act, O Lord. It is time for you to act. I found that phrase in all kinds of different things, just dinking around on the Internet. I guess uh, there was a big Buddhist declaration that went out a few weeks ago about climate change. And that was the phrase that it was that it was used. It's time for you to act. Well, who's you? But um, anyway, it was time to act. Um, and, and, and I found that same headline as it related to Belarus. Some issues are going on politically in Belarus and it was time for the West to act. Well, I, I, I don't know about climate change and I don't know about Belarus, but I know about all the other stuff. And yeah, it is time, but it's time for the Lord to act. Um, we need a biblical perspective in order to find the, the truth that we can hang our hat on uh, right now. And, and while the world's going to talk about peace at Christmas and it's going to talk about all kinds of fairly shallow things, I wanted to send you off with a, with a message out of God's word that, that reverberates, hopefully, in your heart. It definitely is time for the Lord to work, and he is. He has been, he is now, and he's going to continue. If there's a message from my heart and your heart, that's it. He's, he's, a, he's a foot. He's doing his thing. Now, I want to I try to do that by talking a little bit about the biblical roots that, that share his story. And I had reason a week or two ago to teach uh, uh, on the gospel. And I was trying to explain to, to the class about what is the gospel. And normally when I use the word gospel, you might say, well, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And we, we hear that story, we respond to it, we respond to the gospel, we get saved. That's true, but that's a very transactional way to look at it. Right? It's kind of like a, a Southern California done. Check. You know, he did that. I did this. We're done. So good. All, all, all well. And really his story, that is God's story that unfolds in God's word is so much bigger than that. And it's been a comfort to me the last few days to think about this. Because see, the Bible is not fundamentally about us. We like to think it is. When we grab our Bible in the morning, we're looking for him to give us something for, for today. Because it's about us. We want to talk to him about our stuff, our family, our situation, our finances, our whatever. We want to talk about our needs. 
But, but this is a book that tells us about him. Yes, we're, we're referred to here, and there's an implication that there's certainly all the blessings that are coming our direction. But this book is fundamentally about him. It's not fundamentally about me. And, and if, if I want to get a blessing, if I want to walk out with some hope for the fact that the world is a mess, I, I want to I see the Lord acting. So I want to I remind you that he has in the past, currently, and in the future. Now, there's one dominant story in the whole Bible, 66 books, one story. And that story, again, is not about us. It's his story. History is his story. But it has four components to it. And I, and I want to I reintroduce that idea to you in the hopes that it might be some encouragement. As you think through, it is time for you to act, Lord. So the first act of his story, of his, of his unfolding drama... Uh, the, 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 the story that he has for all of mankind, it started in creation. So, so act one, scene one, is creation. And, and if we were to look at creation, if we were to flip our Bibles open to Genesis 1 and 2 and parts of, excuse me, chapter 3, you know, we might be able to ask this kind of question, how did I get here and, and, and why am I here? See, if this is all there is, we're, we're sad people. It's not all there is. And there is a grand purpose to why we're here. Somewhere in your life, if you were reflective at all, you've asked yourself this question. And probably in different seasons of life. But God created man in his own image. He had a plan for that fellowship. He intended to, to be with him in creation. We were created for him. Colossians chapter 1 says, And by him and for him and through him were all things created. Creation sets the understanding that yes, indeed, he is acting. Look what he did. He spoke the worlds into existence. If you haven't thought about creation in a while, think about creation. Think about what was his motive? What, why? In what way? Why did he choose mankind as one of his creations? Why did he crown it? Why did he say, I've made you in my image? We're not like platypuses and dogs and cats and horses. We're the crowning jewel of his creation. Why? Because he was acting. Because he has a story to tell. And it began back then. It didn't begin in 1949. It didn't, it didn't begin with me. I tend to think it did. You know, all of mankind right there, 1949. Good year to be focused on. And I'm not the only one. It began in creation, scene one, scene two. Great idea, but man got involved and he gave him a free will and he chose to go sideways. When we look at the fall, when we look at what Adam and Eve did in Genesis 3, we can very easily ask the next question, which is, why aren't things not the way they were supposed to be? And who's to blame? We like to blame Adam or we blame Eve or the other way around, start with Eve and work our way to Adam. But the bottom line is, you and I, we're sinners by birth and we're sinners by choice. We can't blame them. Yes, our nature is there. Romans tells us we were born that way. But every day I confirm it with the choices that I make. 
The fall is the second drama of God's history, God's story. Is he acting on our behalf? Yes. Look at the fall. Think about that for a moment. What happened? They made a choice. Out of everything that they could eat, he said, one thing, leave it alone. And what did they do? The same thing your toddlers used to do. You can have this, 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 but don't touch that. What did they go for? That. Nothing different. But is he acting? What did he do when they, when they made that choice? He stepped in the cool of the evening like he did every night. And they, they had hidden themselves. They'd never hidden themselves before. There was no shame about their body. First thing they do, do is try to hide. And the first thing he does is clothe them. Kills an animal and offers a sacrifice and clothes them. And in, in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 15, it talks about how he's going to put enmity or make an enemy between uh, the, the, the fall of Satan and, 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 and his son. One's going to bite or nip or bruise the heel, and the other is going to crush the head. We call that passage in, in Genesis 3.15 the proto-evangelium, the very first mention of the gospel. That God was going to do something on our behalf. If you look around the world and are wondering, is God going to act? The answer is yes. He did it in creation. And then when there was the fall, he looked at that and said, i got to act again. i got to get in the redeeming business. I've, I'm going to send my son. I'm from the very beginning of the thought of the fall. I'm going to I'm going to give them a picture by covering up their their shame by offering a, a, an animal sacrifice. And ultimately, 2000 or plus years later, he offers his son as a sacrifice. The, the rebellion that started in the heart of Eve and went to Adam and ultimately is part of yours and my experience. That rebellion has been addressed. He has been acting. From the very beginning. If we go from Genesis 3.15 to really the next two chapters before the end of the book. So from Genesis 3.15 to the book to Revelation chapter 20. We've got a story, a a third scene. A a third section of the drama. and, And we might call it redemption. Is God at work in our world, in our lives, in our own hearts? Answer, yes. Once they fell, once the activity that they chose began to have a a sense of brokenness, they couldn't stay in the garden. They had to work for a living. Childbirth was going to be a problem. Pain and heartache entered the world. Sin and disease, much of which we're struggling with even to this day, Things were broken. And the question we might ask over that is, so who's going to come and rescue us? Where's the redemption? Who's going to fix what is broken? And thundering from heaven, our Lord says, me. Me. It's time for you to act, O Lord. And he has been in creation, at the fall, and then the process of redemption. All the Old Testament and the discussion of the law, do this, don't do that, do it this way, do it, stand this way, light this, do that, don't touch that, wash this way. All of that was a picture driving to a crescendo, a crescendo of redemption. He sent his son, his one and only son. I love that line out of that song. 
And he offered himself. I put in your notes Titus 3, verses 5, or 4, 5, and 6. It says, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. And the verse goes on a little bit and it says, because of his mercy. If you're thrown off your game a little bit like I am, and you're wondering, hey, are you there, Lord? Yes, it is time for him to act, and he has been doing so, and is doing so right now. His, his story of redemption and salvation doesn't end at the, at, at, the, at the limits of my life, my personal life. God is at work. People are, are wondering what's going on in the world. In a way, maybe never before in my lifetime. And the opportunity for conversation is probably more acute right now than any other time I know. I sat with a class last night and I was asking them, let's come up with five different phrases we can say to someone when they say to us, Merry Christmas. Gospel messages in one little sentence. And it was a great, a great opportunity. These people sat there for a few minutes and came up with some cool stuff. The one I liked the best was one guy said, let me see if I can say it right. So somebody says to you, Merry Christmas. He says, oh, I know, now I'm not going to get it right. Um, He, he came, yeah, he came for me and I can't wait to go to him. He came for me and I can't wait to go for him. Maybe a little polished. I'm not getting the words exactly right. But think about that. Every time somebody says Merry Christmas to you, do you have a little tiny gospel opener that you can you could respond with? It isn't in their face or slapping them upside the head, but is it was a sweet way to say, you know, there's more behind that. You know? The baby came to die. That's my favorite one. That baby. Have you thought about it? That baby came to die. He is acting on our behalf. And the fourth scene, that's the scene that's coming. It starts in Revelation 21, and it's outlined all throughout that chapter and the next chapter as well, the last two chapters in Revelation. So the key question that might come up when we start to talk about this scene is, well, what will the world look like when things are as they should be? Well, I can tell you exactly what it's going to look like. Open your Bible to the last two chapters of the book of Revelation and read a little bit. When we cry out, Lord, it is time for you to act, you and I need to remember he has been, he is now, and there is more to come. This is not all there is. We we do ourselves such disservice because we live by our calendars. We live by those little bitty squares on our phones. They have little, little, little notations. At 2 o'clock you do this. At 3 o'clock you do that. And tomorrow you do this. But God is at work. And, it, and it's not defined by my little, my little stuff. It's not even defined by my family or my loved relationships or, or the, the work that I do. God is at work. There is a new creation upcoming. You can almost hear it. At one point in the Old Testament, he talked to, talked to him about listening for the sound of, of, the, of the wind in the mulberry trees. There's a, there's a sound if we shut up long enough. We can almost hear it. It is time for you to act, Lord, and I know you are. And I know you are.
In the midst of our turmoil, we need to remember that. Now, I had a a friend not too long ago, we were having a conversation about uh, scene four, the new creation that's coming. And she said she had had a conversation with a, a young man in her office, a godly young man, who said, you know, you older generation, you talk a lot about that, about what's coming. He said, but the younger generation, we haven't lived our lives yet. You know, we're still raising kids. We're, we're not ready to close up shop. And, and I've thought about that quite a bit. And, and I do think it has a generational uh, aspect to it. But it's also a perspective giver. If I'm convinced this is all there is, we're a mess. Headlines in my, my news feed this morning talked about the rising number of women committing suicide. Women. I, I don't want to be so heavenly minded I'm not here today. But I do want to remember it is his story, not mine. And it ain't over. I want you to see something else out of this passage, though. Look at verse 133. 133 says, direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. I entitled this lesson, Driven by My Roots, because I I saw this verse. It is time for his law to direct my footsteps. How how does that happen? Well, look at Psalm 119, verse 105. A very familiar passage, one probably most of you have memorized. Your word, Lord, is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Light, light, uh, or excuse me, lamp for my feet and a light for my path. When I first got saved, I, I figured they just ran out of vocabulary or something. Why were they repeating themselves? But I've come to understand that the reason that verse is, is bifurcated that way is there's a difference between a lamp and a light. So when, when he's saying it's time for, for his law, the word of God to direct our footsteps, he's saying in two ways. One is as a lamp and the other is as a light. Now a lamp is, is, is like, a, like a flashlight. It, it's right, it's, it's a, a good sized beam, it's pretty strong, it's a clear and, it, and it's meant to be right here, right in front of your feet. So when you're walking along right in front of you, you have a clear focus. It's a clear focus on, if you will, the immediate issues of life. What are we doing now, today, for her, for him, for me? So his word provides that. When you're in God's word on a regular basis and you're working your way through scripture, however it is that you do it. And there are are so many different ways to attack God's word. From, from reading it through just, you know, on, on a continuous loop to, to, to pursuing themes that are in it, to, to doing short-term uh, goals and a, and a thousand other ways. Go to Verse and click on, you know, Bible reading plans. And there's a plan for everybody to read as little or as much as you can, you can spend uh, time doing. But the, 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 the lamp is that clear focus that says today, t- today, I've, I've, been, I've been bouncing off the walls with my spouse. Boy, there's some verses that talk about kindness and gentleness and forgiveness. Whew, that is just what I needed for today. 
But there's another sense in which God's word is valuable to us to direct us. And and it's as a light. And the word there is talking about a a more diffused light, a a, a forward-thinking light, a light that illuminates further out. If you were on a camping trip, you'd have a lamp and you'd have a flashlight, right? The flashlight you'd use to walk through the woods to go potty over behind the bushes, right? You didn't want to do that, I know, but whatever. But, But the lamp you would take and you'd sit it in the middle of the picnic table. You wouldn't sit the flashlight there. Because it's not diffused. It doesn't show enough. It's got a beam and that's it. But a a lamp in the middle of the picnic table, now everybody can see to eat. The kids can wander around. It's out further. That's the way God's word is. Sometimes it's directly addressing what's going on in your heart right now. And sometimes it's addressing broader, broader themes. Greater growth issues. Things that are important to us. But we can't get the benefit of either the beam or the diffused light unless we're in God's word. And and as many times as I've said that during this study, I suspicion we're not there enough. Because there is a, a sense of anxiety in our culture. There is a sense of lack of peace. Of who's going to ride in here and make all this right? God's word has to be the, 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 the source for everything that will direct our footsteps. I cannot say it enough. Figure out when, where, and how you can spend concerted time in God's word. And don't, and don't quit like you quit diets. You know, you do it for three days and you go, oh, well, I ate the pie. I might as well just throw it all to the wind. Don't do that. If you have a bad day and it didn't happen, fine, get up the next day and do it again. Either get up early or stay up late or go hide in your car or do it when the kids go down for a nap or when somebody goes off to work or, or, or set a calendar thing on your phone to beep, beep, beep at you because it's time to get God's word and pour it into your soul. Memorize it. Think about it. Take a phrase. He reigns. He reigns. He reigns. That's a good one. Or a thousand others. It's time for him to act. He has, he is, and he will. It's time for his law to direct our footsteps. And lastly, I want to say to you, it's time for his face to shine. It's time for his face to shine. Look at verse number 35. 135, rather. 135. Make your face shine on your servant and teach me your decrees. Make your face shine. Now, according to John chapter 6, verse 46, the Bible says, No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God, and only he has seen the Father. So we, we do know, in a literal sense, no one has seen the face of God. Literally. John wouldn't have told us that if that wasn't true. But in a spiritual, spiritual sense... There are, there are several people that's recorded in God's word as having seen, pardon me, having seen his face. The one that kind of makes me smile is in Matthew chapter 18. Go to Matthew 18. Maybe this one will make you smile too. Matthew 18. Who has seen the face of God? I love this one. 18.10. Matthew 18.10. He's uh, talking about wandering sheep here. God is. 
in the middle of his, uh, his discussion about the greatest in the kingdom. And he, and he says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. He's, he's looking at children. He says, for I tell you that their angels, the angels related to the little children, in heaven always see the face of my father in heaven. Now, some have said this proves that we all have guardian angels, or at least the children do. I don't know that this proves that, but it does say that angels see the face of God. Now, there's another example or two. Jacob in Genesis chapter 32, when he was going to see his brother, after many years of, of, of you know, having ripped him off of his birthright and, and, and his blessing, and, and he's afraid, that is, Jacob is afraid the night before that he's going to see uh, Esau, and Esau's going to wipe him out or whatever. The Bible says that, that he set up an altar. He had a, a, a wrestling match with God. The, the place was called Peniel, Peniel, rather. He says, I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. I saw him face to face. Now, again, not literally, but in a connected way, in a spiritual way, he saw the face of God. And then, and then Moses in Exodus, um, in Exodus 33, when, we, when he's talking about going up to Mount Sinai and so forth, back and forth, he, he says that he saw the face of God. And, and so much so, when, when Moses came down off the mountain, when people looked at him, his face was so radiant, they couldn't even look at him. Because he had seen and been with God face to face. If ever there was a time when you and I need to see his face... And we need his face to shine on us. It is now. We need to ask what the psalmist asks in Psalm 27. This may be my very favorite psalm in all of the, uh, the book of Psalms. Psalm 27. I've uh, attempted to memorize it many times. So I don't want to mess you up. But go to Psalm 27. Can't find the book of Psalms. Here we go. In Psalm 27, starting in verse number 4, here's a prayer we need to ask. He says, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He goes on to say, To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. One thing I ask, Lord, is to see Your face. I need your face to shine on me. I need your face to shine on me and then my face to reflect you back to others. I need, I need to sense that I'm in your presence. I need to know you're right here. One thing I ask, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord face to face. I, I can't say that every single day when I'm in God's word, I have that sense but I can tell you of the glorious many different times when I have. When it was as if he were sitting right there. I, I didn't hear any voices. I didn't have any visions. But as real as I see your face, my heart saw him face to face. And when we do that, what do we, what do we see? What does he provide? Look at verse number five, same, same psalm. For in the day of trouble... He will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of a sacred tent and set me high up on a rock. 
time for his face to shine, a time for us to, to sense his, his grace, his peace, that he will hide us in the shelter of his tabernacle. When Moses wanted to see him and, 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 and be face to face with him, the Lord said, that's not going to work, it would wipe you out. And, and, and I can just see Moses going, please. The guy goes, all right, come here. And he tucks him in behind a rock, you know, and the Bible says he put his hand over the cleft of the rock and then passed by. Like, all right, get over here. Let me, there, all right, now I'll pass by. A palatable way for, for Moses to, to, to sense the presence of God. In, in a day and time that you and I live in, that's what we, we cling, cling to, want so desperately in our lives. And then what happens when that occurs? Look at verse 6. Then, when I've had that sense of seeing him face to face, my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and I will make music to the Lord. And Sherry will quit whining. Then my head will be exalted above my enemies. I am convinced that what I need and maybe what you need is a higher view of God. Higher than I normally think of him. I uh, read a, 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 little, uh, a little letter, I guess it was. Uh, I'm a big fan of Jonathan Edwards. And if you've not done some research on Jonathan Edwards, you should. Go look at all his resolutions and some of the things that he's written. He's an incredible man of God. In the 1700s here in our, in our country. But um, he had a, a daughter named Esther. And she, uh, for whatever reason, was, was uh, away with her family and not living near Jonathan Edwards. And she got very, very sick. Ultimately, she died. But at this point, they wrote the letter. She was just very sick. So Jonathan Edwards writes his daughter a letter. He says, though you were a great way off from us, yet you were not out of our minds. I am full of concern for you. I often think of you. And often pray for you. Though you are at such great a distance from us and from all your relationships, yet this is a comfort to us, that the same God that is here is also in your town. And though you are out of our sight and out of our reach, you are always in God's hands, who is infinitely gracious. And we can go to him and commit you to his care. When, when, when we're shut down and not able to be with the people that we love, we're not able to be around and do the things that we might want to do, we have to get a higher view of God. We, we can go to God on their behalf. We can talk to him about our situation or their situation or the needs that are in front of us. It is time, definitely, for God to act. And he has been, and he is, and he will. It's definitely time for you and I to see his law as a way, the word of God, to direct our lives. And it is most definitely time for his face to shine upon us. This song has meant so much to me the last six months. I think I played it for you once before, but I, I, I would love it if you would watch the screen. Have you got it teed up, my friend? And make it as loud as this place will go, would you please? While she's teeing it up, I'll give you Rome, or number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Watch this.
Lord, may your face go before us and may we recognize it. We pray in Jesus. Well, thanks for coming and we've been no fun without you. I pray you have a wonderful December. I pray that God's word will be the center of your life and from that you will, you will draw the strength that's necessary to bless others because there's a whole world out there that needs what we have. God bless you all. We'll see you.